0: between the lines with virtual academy we all have a story to tell welcome to between the lines with virtual academy a podcast going beyond the badge to allow members of law enforcement public safety and first response a place to tell their stories and talk about the cases that have impacted their lives. Glad to have you guys along. I'm your co-host, Burr Henson, recording this episode from Union Station in St. Louis, Missouri at ILETA 2023, and that'll actually come into play with our guest today as he received the ILETA International Law Enforcement Instructor of the Year Award back in 2017. But before we bring him
1: in, allow me to introduce our host, Mr. Michael Warren. How are you, sir? Buddy, I am good. This has been a good week. I don't know if you've enjoyed yourself, but I've enjoyed the heck out of it. I, I have. I want to really get out and explore the uh, the conference more. We've been in here recording a lot of episodes, so
0: I feel like I've been tied to our recording space, which has been great, but I want to kind of get out and, uh, you know, explore the studio space, as they say.
1: Uh, you, you do meet a, a motley cast of characters when you're out there exploring. It's both entertaining and informative. Yes. And well, you know,
0: I've I've met a a
1: motley cast of characters inside our recording space. already. (laughs) (laughs) We keep inviting them in, but we do keep the door locked so they can't just come in and go as they please. Right. Right. I don't want to describe today's episode as an intervention, but, 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 Okay, well, we have interviewed a couple people that have worked with this guy and we've gotten a couple different perspectives. And so I, I normally I have an idea of where the podcast is going to go. I have no clue today. What you're telling me is it could go off the rails, then. Uh, it, well, based upon what happened off air before we <laughs> even hit the record button, I think it may have already gone off the rails. So why don't you go ahead and bring him on, and let's just uh, let's crash this bad boy. <laughs> okay. Our guest today has worked as a law enforcement professional in the state of Arizona for over
0: 25 years, starting with the Chandler, Arizona, Police Department in 1996. Like previous guests, Paul Hasselberger and Graham Tinius, he is a member of the executive board for the National Association of Field Training Officers. As an FTO and FTO sergeant, he's played a role in training over 250 new officers throughout his career, and we appreciate the time he set aside for us today as we welcome Sergeant Dan Green to the podcast. Thank you so much for making
2: time for us. Thank you for having me here.
1: <laughs> I think. Hey, yeah, I, I want to point out, and this is not a video podcast. No. It's an, it's an audio one. I
2: wore my cardigan because I thought I was going <laughs> to be on camera.
1: <laughs> the the guy from Arizona has a cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> he, he I for you to change
2: your shoes like mr rogers <laughs> <laughs> well
1: it, you know he he was quick to tell me when no, no. we uh, first met uh, during this conference that uh, hey i brought five pairs of shoes with me <laughs>
2: well you, you today for the viewing audience which i guess there is none yes uh, but for our listening audience i'm wearing a nice comfortable pair of bruno marks right <laughs> no wait a minute is it mark bruno which one's the pop star Bruno Mars. Okay, so Bruno (laughs) Marks. They're not Marses. Uh, Very comfortable, solid black with a white trim going with my Argyle socks and my my
1: Cardigan
0: sweater. You're very metro.
2: You've got uh, this
0: whole thing going on. You're very well put together.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. (laughs) Mike's never called me well put together before. Oh yeah. Well. But I, a, I also appreciate the uh, instructor of the year intro because Mike fails to introduce me as the trainer of the year, Dan Green, which is what I've asked him to do for years now. <laughs> every time, every time, every time he introduces me to somebody, uh, it should start with my official title, right. trainer of the year. Now you've got some titles, all right, buddy. But uh, <laughs> that's
1: why we have an explicit rating. Just yeah, so we can start dropping the bombs. Here so anyway, you're about two minutes too late, based upon Paul's <laughs> schedule. (laughs) That's how we started the thing off here. Policing in Arizona. Why why did you start policing in Arizona? Why did you start policing at all? Well, okay. So the
2: complicated question. So I'll try and make it entertaining, but yet won't take up the rest of our hour. Right? (laughs) Uh, A little bit of legacy, right? My dad was a police officer. And whenever I get the chance to talk about it, I talk about my dad being a police officer and how it influenced me uh, to become a police officer because it did not. There was like zero influence in terms of me becoming a police officer because of my dad. During the formative years, I kind of got introduced to all the perks and the displeasures of policing and watching my dad go through it. And I uh, my, had my hopes set on being the next best awesome offensive tackle that the nfl has ever seen <laughs> having graduated high school at nearly 300 pounds right really? playing football offense defense i was just some people would call a stud yeah. but i think i would go with fucking stud <laughs> There it is. bada bing bada boom right paul mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh one torn acl later i'm out of the football world, right? So I'm much like dating myself. I'm the Al Bundy, right, of law enforcement. Oh, that, I once had go. four <laughs> touchdowns in one game for Poke High. <laughs> I
0: was trying to remember the it's school. Right. I wouldn't be in this shithole <laughs> if it wasn't for my injury.
2: <laughs> At least you're not selling lady shoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there are days, right, during my career <laughs> where I thought, well, maybe lady shoes wouldn't be half bad. <laughs> it would help A, the foot fetish. <laughs> He didn't mention fibers. <laughs> me. <laughs> so anyways, my dad, uh, however, after injury and then getting into the adult work life, right? Now as a young adult learning how to be an adult uh, and then meeting my first wife emphasis right on first, yes. needing to jump into a career. So now it's like having never been influenced to be a, a police officer before, I kind of fell back on what I knew as uh then a something that helped my family just survive and thrive over so many years, right? Took care of my dad and took care of our family. So I kind of just fell back into it. And uh, while it wasn't objective number one, it was there for me when I needed it. It just, it stuck right now, 26 years later, you know, that bio is, I must've sent you a bio that's a year old. Now I'm 26 years and, and then some into the job. And, and, uh, it's been like, awesome. It's been awesome in a lot of ways and certainly has been a struggle in a lot of ways, but it's been very rewarding. Now, that being said, the, the first wife actually took me out to Arizona. I was looking for work in California. This was 94, 95 and California was in police work was landlocked. They weren't, they weren't hiring and uh, I was stumped and I don't, I, I don't know how politically incorrect I can be on public radio but I was oh, frankly honestly told I'm not making this up by several police departments in California in the early 90s that if I didn't have a college degree or I didn't have previous law enforcement experience and I was not a hireable category right yeah. uh, I was a white man that did not speak a foreign language of any type right so I was told that I wasn't going to be hired by anybody in California and I tried and I got turned down by a lot of people my ex-wife then wife had friends in Arizona. So we were like, oh, well, what the hell? Let's, uh,
1: <laughs> that's let's, a way let's to, give
2: Arizona that's a, way to a try. Move across
1: the country. <laughs> yeah. I said California is a place we ought to in. It's
2: actually Arizona. And it's not across the country. It's only a six hour drive. So uh, we made the six hour drive. I put in for one police department. They hired me and they've regretted it ever since. <laughs>
1: The list of regrets Uh, uh, that people have regrets about you are are (laughs) long long and distinguished, right? Well, I
2: don't know what these people have been saying, but there will be hell to pay for them.
1: (laughs) You you know, I I think it's important, though, to put a uh, point out here, uh, because one of the things that Graham talked about when he talked to him was how one conversation that he had with you has had influence an impact on where he's at and what he's doing and all that. And you look back on yours, the the conversation, Hey, you're not going to make it here. And that puts you down this other trajectory that continues, continues to have impact on what you're doing. And, And I think it's important again, to point out that oftentimes we don't understand the impact that we have on mm-hmm. others you, you say that they regret it uh, uh, yeah. there, there may be some buyers remorse but I regret <laughs> regrets uh, kind of a strong term but but how, how would you describe young officer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah what if this was like g- Dan 25 26 years yeah. in, I'm, I'd love to hear a word. yeah because I bet you weren't <laughs> like this on the hiring board there no, no like
2: like a lot of other officers or young men and women wanting to get hired you always put your best foot forward right this isn't it <laughs> you you told me intentionally to leave my best foot behind. <laughs> uh, so um no uh, with time and with age comes the ability and or willingness to to be more adventurous, right? In thought and more diverse in thought and mix with people who are more diverse in thought and whatnot, right? So, but a young Dan Green, if I were to be honest, made a boatload of mistakes in law enforcement. My attitude was more than likely wrong, more often wrong than it was right. Uh, my, uh, the, some of the decisions I made were more often wrong than they were right. Uh, they, or at least they were more, they were wrong more often than I would have liked them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so attitude and decisions and just tone and the, so kind of focused around young police officer, 1996, uh, testosterone, machismo ego came first you know, that type of stuff. My respect, my authority type of tone was for me too prevalent in the way I did business. And I've shared, I've shared this story with a lot of people who have listened uh, to me now as an older dude, maybe wiser, but <laughs> definitely older that, um, I was able to re, I was able to correct the course. Right. So that many years ago when a close friend of mine one day said, listen, listen, I don't want you at my calls anymore. when you show up, things always kind of like take a turn for the worst. You make people angry, right? You, we might end up with complaints about your attitude, that type of stuff. So a friend that loves me and cares deeply about me, had that conversation with me and said, basically, s- straighten up, man. Quit being such a jerk.
1: It, because if you want to piss a cop off, make him do extra paperwork because <laughs> right. the backup officer right. showed up and screwed things <laughs> so up. I was right. just
2: about I was just about done here. Now I've got a use of force report to write, you son of a bitch. <laughs> That's right.
1: Like looking <laughs> o- looking over at you walk driving away that mean look, you know, you and I'm later
2: on. So I just uh I set a different course for myself. I was probably two to three years on at the time, and uh yeah, like I said, said that that other officer was in my second wedding right you know, for to wife number two which is final wife lasting wife 20 oh going on 21 years this God, year God two bless kids her. and everything yes she's a she's a saint <laughs> i call her mother Teresa, but she never wears the headdress
1: <laughs> <laughs> you fast haven't you <laughs> Well, so he
2: set me straight. So I set a different course for myself and I found ways to do this job and actually be the professional people hired me to be. So I've tried to spend the next the rest of
1: my career as a trainer teaching those lessons. Well, that brings to, to mind a couple things for me. Uh, number one, I think it's important for our listeners to understand uh, that just because you're the way you are right now, making those mistakes, you don't have to stay that way. Right. On the flip side of it, I think one of the problems in law enforcement is that once somebody develops a reputation, it tends to stick with them a very long time, even after they've made a change. We need to recognize when people grow up and they make a change. Right.
2: Uh, sometimes grace, uh, we have limited grace in our profession. And, uh, one of the things and it may sound, it may sound rough and, and I may be in the minority, but when I hear us law enforcement talk about thin blue line and the brotherhood and the fraternity, it, it is, it rings true in a lot of different ways. And under some circumstances until we decide to cannibalize each other for the mistakes we've made or me trying to just use you to leapfrog something into a promotion or something like that. We are all, so my point is I absolutely believe in the fraternity and the brotherhood of law enforcement and I'm a 100% believer. However, these things aren't mutually exclusive. I also believe in how unfair we are to one another.
1: Far w- too often. Maybe a family, but often we're a dysfunctional yeah. family. My old partner, Pat Fanning, uh, he described, it. Mike, yeah, we often operate under the Pony Express style. I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, w- we find somebody who wants to be on the job. And we take that person and we ride him as long Uh and as hard as we can until they break down. He says, but we don't even have the common decency to put them out of their misery. Mm -hmm. We turn around and ridicule them instead. And it's like you said, we we, we eat our own as long as it benefits me.
2: Like you're not even good enough to be glue. That's, right? that's we're, not, right. we're not even going to turn this old horse into glue. That's we're right. just going to keep you around and mock you. Exactly. And then yeah. I'm going to tell everyone else around us, oh, you know what he did? Then, you know, that's why he's in trouble. This policy's got his name on it. That's <laughs> right.
1: The Warren policy. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. But, but you, you obviously turned things around. How did you become to be involved in field training at your agency? The hiring boom of the mid-90s. So the same hiring
2: boom that got me hired uh, when President Clinton said, we're going to hire 100,000 police officers and we're going to hire them now. And then he opens the purse strings and uh, America goes on a hiring spree for law enforcement. So how did I get into FTOing is because that went on for several years. My police department, the Chandler Police Department in Chandler, Arizona, fantastic place to work hiring lateral promotions, bonuses and stuff like that. (laughs) Look at us up. Facebook, Instagram, (laughs) YouTube. (laughs) so uh, so
1: (laughs) because I want to fill my FTO program
2: up right now (laughs) fantastic FTO program Uh, so because we were hiring so much we had to do what so many police departments did back then and still do is you have rookies training rookies so we went looking for people to start training because we needed FTOs and there weren't enough senior officers volunteering so about not even two years on the job, I had impressed a, enough people to recruit me and I jumped on board and I started training and.
1: Yeah, I would I would imagine then that, that young FTO green uh, was probably not as effective as no. older FTO no. green. I'm sure as an
2: example. So I've got, when I teach in the FTO schools I teach, I, I claim to have three personalities. <laughs> Um, I'm sure it's more like eight, but in the FTO world, it's three and there is the young FTO that made a ton of mistakes and was learning on the job. The, the, uh, the training for FTOs was non-existent way back when. So you did most of your, how do I learn to become an instructor Well, you did it on the job and you were, or you just modeled what you were taught by your instructors. Uh, in the car, so that's what that was me. That was my first personality, and it was I was a little rigid, I was a little harsh, somewhat foul mouthed. Um, so that was personality number one, which was the personality I needed to to change and get rid of. It, it was not just the personality of, of me as a professional at the time, but me as an instructor at the time, and it was just overall the tone that I needed to get rid of altogether. Personality number two is that FTO that finally learned what he was doing as a teacher, right? And matured and then uh, decided that teaching was more about relationships than what, than it was about instruction. It was less about instruction. Uh, That's of course a necessary thing you have to do, right? But to get to the teaching part, you have to build relationships first. So, I mean, what president was it? Was it Roosevelt said, no one cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care, right? Yeah. We'll give it to him. Yeah, because you got two of them, right? You got two Roosevelt's.
1: Well, we know it wasn't President Paul Hasselberger. I mean, we do
2: know. No, I "I don't care about a bing, bada boom. I'm from Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, the third personality was me as a manager. So I managed our FTO program for many years as well. So just looking through the the different lens of being a manager and and my responsibility came now was about grooming the FTOs and growing the FTOs rather than the, the officers that they were training. So like any other pretty good instructor, like you, like you said earlier, it's like who I am now is not who I was earlier in my life. So and now I'm the, I'm the FTO manager. I can take all these FTO mistakes I've made, give that advice to the FTOs I'm managing now so that we don't continue to repeat the same mistakes in our FTO program.
1: That's kind of the area I want to talk to you about. The, pers- the unique perspective that you have of managing FTOs and because we've we've received we from paul and from from graham we've kind of got an idea of the fto perspective Mm -hmm. but the fto manager that that's a unique position in an agency isn't it
2: you know i think so you have a ton of responsibility i mean if you really kind of break it down there's there's one maybe two other supervisors in a police department that are completely responsible for another man or woman's livelihood so, and that's not necessarily managing the FTOs, but I'm managing the program that decides whether we keep our new employee as an officer for the next 25, 30 years. So do we keep them or do we not? Homicide detective sergeants don't make those decisions. They make critical decisions, right? But mm-hmm. they don't make decisions over a, a coworker's livelihood, their ability to pay the bills. So there you know maybe our sergeants that and and supervisors that run our hiring recruiting right they 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 decide who we hire to begin with right so they make a decision on where people are going to go to work and then fto sergeants help make decisions on if you're going to keep the job we gave you and then that, after that and after probation you're an employee that's off probation and you're up to the it's up to fate right yes but um in that fto program a probationary employee works basically at the will of the people who are training them and evaluating their performance
1: kind of all on us so it's a a very heavy responsibility and for our listeners who maybe don't understand this you know when you look at an organizational chart for an agency you know you've got the, the line folks and then the first line of supervision in most agency is a sergeant what doesn't show up on the organizational chart are FTOs. Right. FTOs really are when they are functioning as a trainer, mm-hmm. they are supervisor. They may be a supervisor one, but they have direct supervisory authority and responsibility for a trainee, don't they?
2: It is a mirror image. The FTO and their responsibilities are a mirror image of of, of a sergeant. It, it is to again build relationships, right? It is to guide Direct, coach, mentor, lead, influence, observe performance, evaluate performance, and decide in the FTO world whether you retain or dismiss. You know, which is in a sergeant's world for non probationary employees, you decide whether you get a raise or not, right? But it is for most ninety nine percent a mirror image of what it's like to be a supervisor.
1: So, so then that, that, that's then that's my point. As a sergeant, you're kind of managing yeah. people that are functioning as a sergeant. I don't know, it, it's just unique, weird. I, I'm not exactly sure what the word I'm looking for. Well,
2: if you've ever, I mean, if you, if you ever wanted a, a picture image of what people mean by informal leader, you can look at the FTO. Like if someone says I that, that person is an informal leader, it's a weird phrase to me anyways, but that is a rabbit hole, right? That we yes. can go down forever. But if you're using the term informal leader, then think FTO because that FTO doesn't come with rank, the majority of FTOs in the country don't come with extra pay, the majority of FTOs in the country don't come with extra perks, benefits, special time off, guaranteed time off. When you think of formal leaders, you think of officers with seniority, rank, supervisors, and with that comes some perks there, right? Right. But yeah, if you ever wanted to, like, what do you mean by informal leader? Well, I would first think FTO because that's what we've asked them to be, leader a leader without rank. That sounds like a class.
1: Uh, I, w- I wonder who offered I that. Know. Yeah, me neither.
2: We can't talk about it. Yeah. So but
1: but here's the thing, though. <laughs> I think that one of the best breeding grounds for formal leadership in an organization are those who serve as FTOs sure, because they have been exposed to supervisor responsibilities that perhaps others of equal rank have not been exposed to.
2: And you know what? Because I just we just talked about some of those responsibilities, like the mirror image between yes. FTO and sergeant. But you know what else they're exposed to if the FTO is paying attention and, and, and being mentored right and developing all the right skills is the soft skills needed to supervise. The FTO is also learning, again, how to build rapport, how to be personable, emotional intelligence, uh, hopefully some emotional control because in the leading, in the world of leading, most of our mistakes are done when we have emotional knee jerk reactions to something. Right. So the same is true in the FTO world, right? I'm known as, um, number 13 to one of the officers I trained a long time ago, but, uh, Hey, uh, they call me Sergeant 13, which is, which is not my number, but they call me Sergeant 13 because that's the number of times I had to walk around my car to calm myself down <laughs> before I talked to that officer about something that had gone wrong. So it was, and Hey, the good news is though, that was personality number two, right? Uh-huh. Personality. Number one would not have gone for a walk before having that conversation. Yeah. Personality. Number one in FTO would be like, beep. beep, 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 beep,
1: beep, beep.
2: <laughs> Personality number two takes a very angry walk around the car 13 times, and I'm totally impressed she was counting, right? (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's the actual number or if she's like, okay, wait a minute, this is multiple times around this car, so I'm going to start counting now and add roughly five.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's probably pretty
2: accurate. pretty darn close, right? Anyways, back to what I was saying is, the ftos have hopefully learned to use that type of emotional awareness and emotional regulation before they deliver messages and talk about performance and stuff like that so and that's exactly what the new supervisor is going to need and when they when they promote so when it, when you talk about a breeding ground hopefully
1: they're learning the soft skills as well what what was the show the the improv show with uh uh, what was his name? The guy who hosts Prices Right. Oh, whose who's line, line is it, it anyway? Okay, yeah. so so that one right there, I always always thought that he was kind of like an FTO. All right, and he's in the car, and they get dispatched on a call for service. The, the The people who have no idea what's going on, they're just given this little command, and now they've got to go and perform. That's kind of what it's like being an FTO, because you step out of the car, and you have an maybe have an idea if they're Here's further the along scenario, in the process. That's accurate. right. And there are some interesting things that happen on calls for service. As an FTO, you're just sitting there waiting, oh, you know, <laughs> with bated breath as to what's going to come out of their mouths. And then we hand we randomly hand out points that make no sense, yeah, right? Exactly. Good
2: job. You get a thousand points. What do these points go to? <laughs> Nothing.
1: <laughs> Your DOR. This determines whether you get you get put on a performance improvement plan or not, <laughs> right.
2: buddy, based upon these little right. numbers right here. And that's what we what we don't want our FTOs having a buzzer like other game shows, right? Sitting in the corner going. ah! when something's wrong you know, I was like and stopping everything and going go oh, I'm sorry ma'am but the uh my young officer here really fucked this up yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna step in I'm gonna mock him for a little bit yeah.
1: we'll be back <laughs> please excuse the dirty looks I keep giving him as we're standing there going you know you talk about um and we talked with Graham about this as an FTO supervisor It has to be frustrating when you get a new batch of FTOs into your program, getting them up to speed so there's consistency across the entire Mm -hmm. program when it comes to training and training documentation and evaluation scores. Yeah, the interesting part about your
2: question comment there can have multiple answers. One is consistency, right, from a supervisor's managing the FTO program, trying to get anywhere between two. I mean, unless you have an FTO team of one, getting multiple FTOs to be consistent is extremely challenging. Human nature does not want to be consistent, right? Right. Uh, Just our, our nature, we don't want to be really consistent we don't want to necessarily be uniform. We want to be independent and individuals and my way or no way type of type of approach. So getting FTOs to be consistent is challenging. Having a team or a group of academy graduates, hit your FTO program and the pressure of getting them trained properly and the pressure of also getting them onto the road as quickly as possible to take care of staffing and stuff like that. We, we want to take care of your staffing. Indeed, we also want to put a capable body in that patrol car and we don't want to lower our standards to do it. So we're making sure we're not just consistent, but our standards remain as high as possible and reasonably pass our program right
1: yes it, it, to me it's a lot like when there, there's a bad accident you have to shut down the roadway in order to conduct the investigation one of the first things that you get from administrators is the question of when's the road going to be open again Hey, you Kate, know, what do we need to do right but the, the thing is if you open it too soon the, then the investigation is flawed. right? And then you get- Everyone asked, runs over the evidence. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you get asked about, hey, why is this investigation jacked up? Mm-hmm. Pressure to get these trainees out there as quickly as possible to address the staffing shortages. But if we get them out there too soon, mm-hmm. uh, they create their own messes, don't they?
2: And you know what else is going back to what's unique about the FTO and the FTO manager and managing that program is not only is the FTO manager and in- connection the fto program as a whole responsible for people's livelihoods but also it's i think it's the only real unit in a police department that puts its product out there for everyone else to see good point so uh, i'll use homicide again right our homicide detectives might make some mistakes in an investigation and this handful of people will know it but everyone else won't but if if we don't do a very good job training that new officer and we send them out to the road. Who's the FTO on that? Who was the FTO on that, right? Yeah. Like, like I said, I got- The men and women that graduate FTO programs are given, you know, two things when they leave. They're given the full fledged authority of the police department in their state to go out and do policing and a bus driver's license so that they can run us over with it (laughs) anytime there's a mistake in the future. Right. It'd be like, why did you do that? I was trained to do that. Or weren't you trained to do this? Nope. they never taught me to do that.
1: (laughs) So, So then as an FTO manager. What, what should somebody who is going to be supervising an FTO program? what should they be looking for in terms of training to ensure that their FTOs mm-hmm. are, are not only maintaining but improving their abilities as an FTO? Because it, it, you and I both know, okay that in many agencies, that training stops as soon as they come out of the FTO class. So well, what can they do to, to make it better? They should go to NAFTO.org and take a look at the training opportunities there. Well, (laughs) imagine my surprise if that's where you, but but what, what kind of training is it that NAFTO offers that sharpens the blade of the FTO? And I'll get to that. However, leading into
2: that, I think the real, what every FTO manager really needs to know about training their personnel is that it's up to you. a managers, it's your responsibility.
1: Really? Yeah, it's, 100%. It's not the training sergeant's responsibility? No. Because that's another, that's another umbrella, right? No, I wear that hat as well. Oh, lucky you. So, but it is
2: your FTOs, uh, and I shouldn't say this as a, a, a giant blanket, right? But the FTOs are more than likely not going to continually train themselves, uh, they more than likely won't be proactive about that. So if you want your FTOs to be continuously trained, the responsibility to continuously train them falls directly on the FTO manager, hopefully a team, hopefully the sergeant-lieutenant com- combination, right? If uh, you're the FTO sergeant, this this responsibility falls square on you. Are you capable, uh, FTO sergeant, are you capable of training them personally? A, a lot of FTO sergeants are, right? They're talented and instructors. Uh, if you're not, uh, then find those talented instructors in your agency to continuously train your FTOs. Yes, I'm the executive director of NAFTO, and we do have a ton of a ton of options we can that, that, that you can pay for, right? It's, a, it's It's a professional gig. However, it still won't be continuous training. NAFTA is going to provide wonderful instruction, but it's not going to be continuous. We will come in for a day or three and then we will leave just like every other training organization. In the meantime, and between professional uh, training services, you've got to seek your own. And the, the FTO manager's got to do it for the program as a whole.
1: I think uh, one of the most valuable parts of NAFTA offered training, at least in my experience and in my, my belief, is that when you bring people from multiple agencies that are part of the FTO program, and you sit there... And you hear somebody else has the exact same problem yeah. that you do. And you look over them and you say, it's almost like, you mean I'm not alone? Because oftentimes we, we, we're scared to go to the doctor because we don't want to hear the bad news. <laughs> but right. if I go to this NAFTO class and realize that it shared bad news, I can relax a little bit and say, you know, OK, OK, it, it's not just me. So oh, now how do we fix that problem? I've uh, always
2: considered the FTO management class that we have. I think every class is this way, but especially in the FTO management class, which is a two-day workshop, we ask the managers that are attending this class to pretend they don't have an FTO program at all. And then we spend two days building one up from the ground. I always consider that also one part therapy and all the FTO managers sit down and go, like you just said, oh, you too? (laughs) Oh, I thought I was going crazy. I thought this was just me. So I'm not weird. Uh, It's not me. (laughs) I just thought people hated me. (laughs) I thought they were intentionally fucking with me to make my life miserable. (laughs) Nope. Turns out your life is miserable too.
1: (laughs) I guess then we've talked about that, that perspective down because as the executive director for NAFTO, yes uh, and trainer of the year uh, trainer of the year and two-time if i'm not mm-hmm. mistaken emerson Two time I invited yeah. back twice that's right, that's that, right. that rarely happens yes. if ever. super rare yeah what would you tell agency administrators about fto programs because a, a mm. lot a lot of the pressure that that comes down is maybe well-intentioned from administrators but It doesn't it doesn't relieve the harmful effects of maybe their expectations or or what they think FTO is about.
2: So it's a very good question. And the topic of how do I get my command to trust me? in the FTO world comes up in every class we teach. Really? Every class we teach. Even the basic certification school where we have FTOs who supposedly have never been FTOs in the past. They know that, oh, my FTO program has the reputation of not being trusted or command doesn't trust us or they don't listen to us so Sometimes, sometimes that's how they say it, they don't listen to us. So it's a complicated answer and there really is no one answer, right? So I usually answer it in two different ways and I ask the FTO managers to consider both answers. One is for command to trust you, let's be intentional about how we select FTO managers and FTOs. So if we want to trust the program, we need trustworthy people. So let's start with who we select. Advice number one, right? Be intentional about who you select to be the manager and your FTOs. Trustworthy program, trustworthy people. On the other side of that same coin, trustworthy people need to remain trustworthy with a strong work ethic. So at times, in fact, too often, too often, the, uh, the complaint that they don't listen to us is also accompanied with a lot of missing paperwork missing DORs, your job, the responsibility you had to do to write evaluations, you failed to do it, right? So if you want full trust from command, then put together a good product if that makes sense. It
1: does. And uh, we we try not to to be salespeople on this platform, but Virtual Academy recently released an FTO program. And I think that one of the most valuable parts of it is there's this dashboard where an administrator can go in and they can see in every single category where a trainee is being evaluated. Mm -hmm. They can see the trending scores because I I think one of the missing paperwork, I I would also say missing communication. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, the administrator doesn't find out that things are going off the rails till we have a full-blown emergency. Another unique part of the FTO manager position is
2: I would tell a lot of FTO, all FTO managers, that you are also one part PR. If the only time you, the FTO manager, see your chief is when you're there to ask to dismiss or fire somebody, you're not doing your job right. So, you should be walking down the hallway saying hi to your chief, giving them or chiefs or commanders or sheriffs or managers, commissioners, whoever you might work for, you should be seeing them pretty regularly so that uh, they have an update on the program and they remember your face, right? And they because remember your name. That, that's
1: part of, uh, of being trusted, isn't it? Sure. Available, uh, known
2: right? Yes. What else is trusted is is like, well, two weeks ago, uh, the FTO sergeant came in and just informally briefed me on the ongoings and what's going on in the program and who's doing well and who's doing not. And two weeks from now they'll stop by and, and we'll have the same conversation. And and then that same FTO manager does does it f- more often on with more regularity with their lieutenant, right? Continual communication. So, you are on a PR campaign to make sure that everyone in your chain of command understands that your program is well-oiled and greased and running smoothly.
1: Well, and it can't always be delivering bad news. Right. If the only time you show up is when things are going wrong. That's when people start shutting and locking sure. the door on you when they see you coming you, you have to deliver good news as well, don't you? Of course,
2: and and that the same goes all the way down to the FTOs and how they write their DORs. The DOR cannot be of just a long list, a giant grocery list of everything so and so has done wrong today. Right? It has to be balanced with positive reinforcement. So I want the F, we want the FTO managers to do the same thing. Right? Let's positively reinforce our program and make sure everyone learns of its successes and that it is running smooth and let's make sure work is done that i have a strong work ethic and the fto's have a strong work ethic and we don't have a bunch of missing daily observation reports and evaluations are completed and boxes are checked and everyone's dotted their eyes no one finds the admin work sexy i get it right i totally get it but it's the unsexy very unattractive admin work that uh, if it's not
1: done right will more than likely sink your battleship if you want to be trusted and that's bad for the fto manager it is yeah it is so i want to ask you a question here about napto why is it important what value does napto bring to an fto or an fto manager
2: so a lot of fto managers also like i like like i told my story learning on the job as a young fto right a lot of fto managers are out there learning on the job as well so maybe they were ftos are in classes i run into a lot of uh meet a lot of people, a lot of FTO managers that were never FTOs, but now in a situation where they like were put into that position and like, hey, do your best, right? So there's value to an FTO management class because whether you have some experience, a lot of experience or no experience, um, the FTO manager workshop is as cookie cutter slash template worthy. As it can be, so we can take you. We'll we'll meet you. They'll kind of like overuse catchphrase. We'll meet you where you are. Like if you've come to that management class with no program at all, you'll leave with the foundation of an entire program. If you show up with a program that you just want to tweak a little bit, you'll leave with the tweaks you probably need. You go to that management work class, and you no longer have to start from the beginning with anything. You don't have to re recreate the wheel. The wheel's been been created. NAFTA has members from around the country that we draw. Are we draw from them, we draw a ton of knowledge from those members that crisscross the country. Our executive board crisscrosses the country, quite literally, north, south, east, west. We draw our knowledge from all of those different resources and then take those resources to the nation And in our management class says, oh, you're struggling with this? Well, let me show you what they do in New Jersey. Let me show you what happens in Arizona.
0: Let me ask you this. Uh, We recorded an episode with Graham earlier today, and he said one of the life-changing moments in his career was when you came to him and said, hey, I think you'd make a great FTO. And at the time, he said, I'm not quite so sure about that. He didn't see that in himself, but you did. So what did you see in him and other officers like him that you thought, hey, they'd make Mm -hmm. a great FTO? Uh, I
2: saw passion, right? I saw smarts, right? So in Graham, I knew that he was smart. There's no doubt about it that Graham's a smart man. But I also saw a smart man that worked hard, right? I saw a smart man that worked hard. I, uh, the work ethic was there, the smarts were there. There was a ton of passion. You can't work hard without passion. I don't believe it. I don't believe you. hard workers lack passion. He had the passion, he had the hard work. Um, I knew he had the smarts. I didn't know him as a friend then, right? And you know, now we're just best of friends. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. You no, know, it's like, now I know better, right? <laughs> oh, if I could that, remorse
1: again. That Funny how that back. keeps coming <laughs> up, isn't it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> what I grew to know, and the like the one of the special characteristics that Graham's got that I think every FTO should have, and again, those other characteristics that I noticed in Graham, are characteristics that i think all good FTO should have right that strong work ethic passion for what they're doing there's they're smart right we don't not mensa right type of stuff but smart but another characteristic that doesn't always come with smart people that graham's got is being open-minded and he's not a my way or the highway type of thinker he's uh, he's got a strong growth mindset. So, and I think that's a strong characteristic in the FTO world as well. Because if you FTO for more than a year or so, your job around you's changed, and you know, it, law enforcement changes every 12 months in some form or fashion. So, if an FTO doesn't have a growth mindset that's moving and and with the changes, not against the changes, but with the changes, if the FTO is moving with the changes, then that FTO is going to do a much better job developing a new officer with a growth mindset as well. So I saw those in Graham, and I think those are I think those are good characteristics for FTOs universally to have. Hmm. And then there's his heavy drinking. Did he get into his drinking? <laughs> I
1: don't know. <laughs> was, was that before, or did the FTO program? That's definitely a, what FTO uh, causes. Uh, <laughs> you recently brought on board with NAFTA a new member of your executive board. And uh, who is that person? Jenny Hall, I assume, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Jennifer well, Hall from Louisville she was brought Thank on you for saying it correctly by the <laughs> way you're welcome listen okay louisville it's not
0: louisville it's louisville
1: you don't <laughs> have to move your mouth louisville. you don't have to move your yeah. mouth. are you eating marbles <laughs> louisville <laughs> she, not only does she work for the department but she also has another role she's involved in well i guess what i'm getting to is you I, know, have I feel re- like i'm being set up here you have a relationship Whoa. With, with some researchers. Oh, yeah. I want to emphasize why is it so important that NAFTA has this relationship with people? Because these are really smart people. You know, yeah. Gra- Graham's smart, but right. not that kind of smart. These well, are smart yes. people. Why the relationship between NAFTA and them?
2: So I would say, and, and this is exactly why, because my answer to this question is anecdotal. Mm -hmm. Right. So we we as an organization want to start not necessarily moving away from anecdotal practitioner based, experienced based knowledge. We don't necessarily want to move away from that because that's extremely valuable. We want to start uh, meshing it and incorporating it with actual evidence based knowledge. So Jennifer Hall with Louisville uh, is a Ph.D. She's an IACP lead scholar. And uh, we also have a relationship with a number of different people at CNA and they are also PhDs with other, man, they got acronyms on top of acronyms on top of acronyms. They are smart people who are also have diversity in thought. They're not law enforcement centered thought you know, their thought is not law enforcement centered. So we're hoping that, um, and I'm sure that it escapes the familiarity bias that we would all kind of have who are in law enforcement, right? You know, so we're moving towards, uh, we have already partnered with, and we're moving towards backing uh, what NAFTO has, which is strong anecdotal practitioner-based evidence on how the job should be done.
1: Yeah, but because I, I think I'm like you. I, I think that when the evidence, the, the research is done, the evidence is going to show that the anecdote stuff was pretty accurate 100% the research, and if it's not we'll fudge the numbers that's right because <laughs> you can make numbers say whatever you want right well mark twain once said figures
2: lie and liars figure that's right right
1: <laughs> so the truth of the matter is that provides credibility and defensibility for the person being trained for the fto for the fto manager and for for the organizations and that's incredibly valuable especially in the climate that we have today
2: absolutely everyone and and i don't blame anybody at all but um Most everyone outside law enforcement would like to know that we do what we do for good reason. And most of the time, giving the good reason behind why we do it shouldn't just be based on the opinion of the people doing it. There's going to be some bias there, right? Yes. Why are you doing it this way? Well, because the the police said we should do it this way. And well, that's sometimes not good enough. So we're going to reinforce it uh, with... Honest to God, evidence-based knowledge. I think by the time we're done with our part, I don't. I hope we're never done with our partnership with CNA. But I think by the time we're done with a couple projects we're currently working on, we're going to find that the evidence-based information we get through research is going to back up what we knew anecdotally. And uh, I think we'll be happy with it. And
1: I think I think you're going to find that, that it validates what you've been teaching. It validates what's being done. Right. But it needs to be validated.
2: And here's the and here's if we're wrong in some form or fashion about something, then we're going to change it. Yeah. If evidence, if if the research shows us that, no, you, you, you should have gone left instead of right. then we're like, all right, so let's rewrite our curriculum. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the growth mindset but that much, we we're talking everybody's about. Everybody's
1: got to have a scapegoat. Uh, and I, I would vote for Paul because he, yeah. he was unable to make it this year. To right. and so sorry Paul isn't that usually what happens if you don't show up you you were voted in I'm sorry you got to bring
2: brownies to the next (laughs) Cub Scout meeting
1: (laughs) you know as we're wrapping things up here I think in our show notes we we should include as a favor to Dan okay Mm -hmm. Uh, Chandler PD's uh, recruitment uh, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) website so that we can send them there but again uh, if somebody is an FTO somebody's aspiring to be an FTO I would highly encourage them to become a member of NAFTO. Real quickly, where can people go to find information on that?
2: NAFTO.org is our website and probably the the best place to get information about NAFTO. As soon as we, we do have Instagram and we have LinkedIn and we have Facebook as well. Uh, so all of those are pretty
1: strong resources, but the website's got everything you're going to need to, to know about NAFTA. Dan and I, would give each other a hard time. But I have to say that, that Dan is also going to be doing some work with Virtual Academy because May 2nd, we're going to be doing our second live in-person training event uh this year in vestavia hills alabama and dan is the featured speaker and so for our partners who are out there listening in the state of alabama if you've gotten an invitation you get more of this more of it (laughs) and and you get to see him as he is dressed so finely in mm-hmm. front of us. Which which version of Dan are we on right now? I,
2: uh, well, you got to tell me which version you want in Alabama. I, I don't well, know. I don't, I, I don't
0: think, I think I would be afraid of version one. I think you would probably <laughs>
2: uh, chew me up and spit me out. So I think, <laughs> I think you're way past that. I do add, you know, the, if it's not FTOing, it's uh, use of force is my other love. Been teaching it for 25 years. So I, I'm looking thunder for
1: thunder and lightning. That's right. <laughs> I am looking forward to Dan's class, and I can't remember the entire title, but it's about the need to adapt, and you can call it adapting, reform, whatever it is, but law enforcement changes every 12 months, Mm -hmm. and probably more quickly than that if we're honest with each other. We as a profession have to be willing to do it, so I can't wait to hear uh, what he has to say on it, because it's going to be insightful, uh, because he he is a smart guy and Mm -hmm. with a lot of experience looking forward to seeing you Me again too. here in May th- this organization this NAPTO thing th- they have some unique characters involved in leadership <laughs> wouldn't you agree
0: right and like you said spread out across the country and i think we've had on your executive board i think uh, maybe 3 out of the 5 so we got to work on getting the rest of the uh,
2: executive board yeah here. Jennifer Hall's one of them Stuart Brown's another he's in he's in uh Florida and then we um, got jeff jeff van Hooks here yep, yep, jeff uh, is so, uh, yep so yeah so technically you got uh technically i'm not part of the executive board right the executive director reports the executive board but i want to bore your fans <laughs> with administrative structure <laughs> that type of stuff but yeah you got some more uh board members to go yeah. through
0: yeah well thank you for uh carving out some time for us today and sitting down just and, and talking to us we appreciate it
2: you're very welcome thank you for all you guys do this is a great production Thank you. Minus the host. <laughs> the, the face. Of, I understand the face of the program is the, 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 the face one of the, the roughest radio. faces around. The face uh, it does radio. sound right. Yeah. Thank you again.